0: The Scottish Mortgage Podcast, Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air or Joby, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis, or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision, and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms, your capital is at risk.
1: Hello, I'm Caroline Hugg and welcome to Face Off. Today, I'm joined with Atomos' Hague Bathgate and Janus Henderson's Laura Full to discuss UK equities, while Laura is pro-UK and believes the market is highly undervalued, Haig has been working hard to reduce Atomos's home bias from a third of the portfolio to 10% since he joined as CIO. So I'm going to kick this one off with Haig. Is the UK a good place to invest?
2: Well, I mean, there's two obviously two sides to that which we're going to discuss today. I mean, unquestionably, the UK is cheap. The problem I have is I I don't really see a catalyst for for a re-rating anytime soon. And on top of that, if you look at the UK today as compared to 10 or 11 years ago, it has massively diminished in in importance in terms of global stock markets. Mm. Um, We have to invest on behalf of our clients on a global basis. And the UK has gone from being around about 11% of global market capitalisation 10 to 12 years ago to less than 4%. So it's basically a backwater in global standing and on top of that the UK stock market is only the UK in name. Of course the larger capitalization stocks in the UK are international companies mm-hmm. and there's lots of mining and resource exposure in there as well. So it's got quite a style biased tilt to it. Um, so yeah, it is cheap. I just don't personally see any, any catalyst for a re-rating anytime soon.
3: So it's interesting. I, I do agree with you on quite a few points, but I suppose I see them slightly differently. So history tells you that valuations matter. You know, we're mm-hmm. starting from a UK valuation that, as you say, is cheap. It's on 10 times earnings. You know, history would suggest that it's a good time to get in on a long-term basis. You're right that we can't point to any catalyst. But when can you, ahead of the catalyst, yes. You know, when can you ever say this is what the catalyst is going to be? If you can do that, then it's already happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say Maybe it's things like share buybacks. You know, the UK companies finally getting the message that, you know, if, if we're not going to get the inflows, which it seems like we're not, then you need to be buying your own shares. You know, UK companies definitely seem to be doing that in size in the last couple of years. This year, even smaller companies are now buying back their own shares. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's not a huge recession. You know, this time a year ago, people thought the UK would be in recession this year, and it's not. Mm-hmm. So. It, you can never say that this is what the catalyst is going to be and then it's going to re-rate, but there are, there are signs that there could be catalysts. You can never say, this is it, mm-hmm. and we're starting from you know, a 10 times valuation. So I, And I think your point about international earners is exactly right, but isn't that, isn't that even more of an argument that the UK shouldn't be at a valuation discount? You know, if we're talking about three quarters of earnings, roughly, being overseas, then why does it make any sense that Unilever sort of discount to you know whoever it is Nestle, P&G, when it could equally be listed somewhere else? To, to me, that that makes it more nonsensical in a way.
2: Yeah, so. yeah, I agree with that to an extent. Although the biggest catalyst I can see for a re-rating in UK companies at the moment is when they relist on another market. I we've seen Clap menu you know, a number of examples of that this year. We've seen Ferguson, you've seen ARM, you've seen CRH, yeah. and the days they've you know listed on. The U.S. stock exchange, for example, you've seen their share prices move considerably higher. And Ferguson is a, a classic case in point. I mean, arguably, it probably shouldn't have been listed in the UK in the first place. Uh, but even in a tr- you know against a troubled sort of property um, backdrop in the U.S., it's re-rated very, very significantly. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things. And you know, arguably, I, I mean, I again, the the reason that I'd been bought in of this sort of falling knife argument to the UK in the past was obviously the ratings are, are very low. And there's the buyback argument. But the counter to that is buybacks decrease liquidity. So we've got this shrinking equity base all the time in the UK. And arguably you could say then the UK should have a higher risk premium attributed to it because of the lack of lack of liquidity.
3: I do agree with you about liquidity and I think de you know, If there were to be a problem in the UK market. Fundamentally, it is de-equitisation. You can point to it very clearly over the last five years, not just in terms of the number of companies, but also, as you say, in terms of the free flow. Because buybacks are great and value-accretive at the valuations that we are now. Mm -hmm. But it is decreasing liquidity. And I agree with you that that is the number one challenge. And you can see that it is an area of policy focus increasingly, Mm -hmm. which I think is a good thing, because we've been saying for a long time, there is this problem, there's not many companies listing. The other thing we haven't mentioned is the number of takeovers that are happening. Yes. So, where we are getting you know, positive performance this year, it's often because of takeovers and often at not great valuation. You know, private equity coming in, taking things off the market at valuations that are frankly frustrating. And that's, you know, that feels nice on the day, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not good for the fundamental health of the equity market. So, I completely agree with you. I'm hoping that some of these policy initiatives increase focus on the area. They do seem to be. Um, I also think there can be a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy about it in that you know the liquidity gets worse people decrease their allocation to the UK the liquidity gets worse etc yeah, but yeah. that can also work the other way mm-hmm. in that if you get better performance you get people saying oh actually you know yes the UK market is only 4% whatever it is of the MSCI world but maybe I can add a bit of value here the money comes back the performance gets better and it self-fulfills the other way I think we've been in this a bit of a vicious circle in the last couple of years. But that can reverse. I think, if, And I think a lot of it is confidence.
2: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, if some of that comes back, then the valuation go up and people look and it just, it, it can reverse. It just needs that bit of stability and confidence.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the kind of disappointing thing has been there's not been more policy initiatives in the UK. I mean, the whole thing we were told about Brexit was that we would have all of this red tape being removed. And we're starting to, I mean, we've, Arguably, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Rebundling of commissions, removal of caps, and bankers' bonuses. I mean, we're starting to see some initiatives now, which, I mean, are questionable about whether those are positive or negative things. But I think the the disappointing f- thing, from my perspective, is we've not seen more um, t- catalyst-type policies coming coming from the government. The governments obviously had lots of things to deal with, but it doesn't feel like they really capitalised on you know some of the the freedom they've been bought by. By Brexit, yeah,
3: I would ag- I would agree with that. And I think, you know, if I take a, st- a real step back and look at what I think the problem has been in UK equities on kind of a twenty year type time horizon, you know, very long. If you look at you know the insurance company holdings, the pension fund holdings, the allocation to UK equities has just been going one way mm-hmm. for the last twenty years, and foreign buyers have been buying it, and that's fine. But it. Ex- there's an underlying fragility to that in that you're completely at the whims of sentiment. So then you get a Brexit-style event and foreign investors go, Ashley, just as you said, there's more risk premium here. I don't necessarily need to own it. It's a small portion of the global market. They withdraw and there's not the domestic base that creates that stability. So if you get a sentiment swing, you get a huge swing in valuations compared to what you'd get in, say, the Australian market where you've got a big domestic investor base. So it just creates this underlying fragility, and that's what we need to address with some of these policy initiatives, whatever it is, the mansion house compact, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any one that will be a silver bullet for the market, but there's lots of individual initiatives taking place. And I also think it just needs, like I said, more confidence, more stability in the backdrop. We've had what well, we had following Brexit so many years so many elections and just so much sort of seesaw politics yeah, that have yeah, just yeah. done anyone any favours. We just need a period of stability, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that gives us um, time to go into the next question, which is Should home bias be dead? I'm going to start with you, Laura.
3: So I think it is dead. <laughs> In that, you know, you hear people like, Hey, exactly that, thinking, okay, well, the MSCI world waiting is whatever it was, 11, 12, and now it's four. If you were an Australian pension fund, that is not how you'd go about your asset allocation. You would start by investing in your domestic market. You, know, you see, say, the Australian banks, and they look at a completely different valuation to our banks here, because of their, there is this big domestic weight. So home, home bias to me seems to be dead for us in the U.K but not dead anywhere else, which to me is just really frustrating because I can see from a completely sort of global capital market perspective why you'd say, you know, it's not logical to have a home bias, you know, there with your economics textbook, great, but that's not how other equity markets seem to work. So I I can see the logic to it, like I said, purely from an economics perspective, but other Markets don't run themselves that way. So we're putting ourselves at a competitive disadvantage by not having a home bias in the way that our wealth managers, pension funds, insurance companies, government, it, you know, run their money. So I just, I think we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage by not doing it. But I think, you know, to answer your question, I think home buyers already is dead. You know, you can just see it in the flows in the
2: last, you know, five, ten years to the
3: UK. Yeah
2: yeah well, I mean obviously I've been a contributor to that in a very in a, in a very small way, but yeah look i think there's 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 a couple of ways of looking at this. One of them is the the u k angle, but also it's where you're going to get exposure to different sectors um and the one area that's obviously absent not just in the u k but in Europe as well is technology and technology companies you know, to my cost historically when I have not had exposure to them. These these companies tend to perform exponentially. You know we've got countless examples. You know Amazon in the in the noughties. You had Apple over the last ten years. You had companies like Nvidia more recently. Companies like that don't list in the UK. Don't list in Europe. And if they do, they're usually clobbered over the head and bought by someone in the US. And the other reason I, I think you know if you are if you are going to have a higher weighting to the UK, it means you you have to have it at the expense of somewhere else. And the obvious place you're going to reduced to, to make that weighting given its two-thirds of global market capitalisation is the US. And that, you know, whether it's the last 20 years it's been the anomaly or, or not, but ever since I've been in, 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 in the markets, US markets have traded at a, a price earnings premium, and that's never changed. And um, I just don't think, given that the US run the world order, given that they have this sort of monopolistic or oligopolistic advantage in terms of if you want to do business with the US, you basically have to do it on their terms. You're always going to have these high growth companies that move in an ex- exponential trajectory listing in, in the US. And you can see, I mean, again, you see ARM technology as well. It's, it's, you see it every single time. The premium that these companies trade on, the exposure, it's, just, it's, just, it's in a different league.
3: I can't argue with that in that you know, we can clearly see the tech weighting in the UK being near enough zero, almost a rounding error c- compared to the US. I would argue a couple of things. I think that, you know, the, the way tech has performed has been a feature of a very specific interest rate environment that we've had over the, well, really since the financial crisis, that is now different and changing. Mm-hmm. The UK, as you mentioned right at the beginning, it has a different style to its market. It has much more of a value tilt because of the makeup of its indices. and value, we all know, has had a very tough time for most of the last decade. There have been the odd blip that value has performed better, but most of the time growth has outperformed. That could be different now. We could be in a new, you know, always, always dangerous to say, we could be, things could be different now. You know, we've now got a base rate of five and a quarter, and it looks like it's going to stay there for quite a while. So we could be in a different type of market where actually the UK's value style could be in favour. And tech names, you know, having done incredibly well, you know, there's absolutely no arguing with that. You know, it, we could be entering a different phase where actually, you know, maybe the oil and gas companies of the world, you know, the banks could, could have a better time. You know, they don't have to be classed as, you know, There have been a lot of periods over the last 10 years where UK fund managers have been called dinosaurs, et cetera, et cetera, well, actually maybe some of those older companies that are very cash generative, you know, giving you cash here now. Those could be more in favour in, in a different market. I would say the other thing just to think about, and I'm sure you're well aware of, is that you know, the PE on the US market, yes, it, it tends to trade at a premium, but it's at a, a bigger premium to the rest of the world than I think, well, on the charts that we've got, as much as it has been in 30 years. Mm-hmm. So the US is at a valuation premium most of the time, but that valuation premium is much bigger than it would normally be, which would argue for, you know, maybe you don't wholesale sell your US positions, obviously, but just an argument for taking some of the profits out of the US and maybe allocating them elsewhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, it's a classic argument, isn't it? But, uh, you know, when I looked at someone like NVIDIA and we all saw the valuation move in advance of the, the revenue data coming through, but they hit their targets. I mean, that was the incredible thing. I mean, the growth in that company was sensational and i was again i was looking at it and thinking this, they're never going to achieve these numbers and they came through and they and they did it so i don't know maybe i'm a a fantasist on this but i do think some of these ai efficiencies that are going to come through are are real and you know we've seen the invest the upfront investment uh we've all used chat gpt and the you know the the picture apps that allow you to create all of these things but i just feel there's a you know i think there's a, a kind of tsunami coming which is going to disrupt a lot of the service industry. And you look at areas like legal services, our financial services. The bottom pyramid of those jobs are going to be completely automated by by AI. And if you want exposure to areas like AI, you're going, you know you need to you need to you need to be in in the US. I mean, I suppose if we start to see you know some of the areas getting disrupted, it could be the classic value companies, and maybe be some knock on effect. But yeah, I I would feel I would even though U.S. companies trading at premium, I'd feel nervous being too underweight. We still have 10% in UK equities, so we're still, <laughs> we're still over double the uh, the MSCI weighting. But I think historically, you know, and again, you know, when, I, when I come into to, to Atomos, it's about one third, which in my mind is just way, way, way too much.
1: Are you planning to reduce that exposure?
2: Uh, well, probably not at the moment. Um, yeah. I think, you know, around about 10% is, is is about where we'd want to have it. And also it's where we've come from as well. So we've gone from having one third mm. to, to 10%. Um, and yeah, look, as you say, these these valuations are cyclical, even though the U.S. tends to tr- always trade at a slight premium. It is at a quite a large premium on, in, in terms of cyclicality at the moment. So... So, yeah, we might reduce it further in the future, um, although we might you know, look to other areas. I mean, it, the other interesting thing is, obviously, the MSCI has Asia very underrepresented because China doesn't feature properly. Um, you know, So I think, if anything, we'd probably be looking to some other value areas like China and so on, where, I mean, sentiment around China is so bad at the moment, again, partly because of the way that it's conveyed in the press. I think if we were going to reduce the UK further, it would be, by moving into somewhere like Asia,
1: um, another argument that I was thinking is surely by having a more home bias, you sort of you can manage your currency risk, your FX risk. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that?
2: Yeah, I mean this is an interesting one, isn't it? So yeah, in small caps, yeah, because you're exposed to to you know domestic economy. A large cap is eighty percent you know dollar or foreign foreign currency earnings. So. It, again, it's the UK only in name. I think the fixed income component of portfolios is, is different. And, um, and given the yields you can now get on government bonds, um, you know, again, we've been increasing our exposure to, to, to UK fixed income. But we tend to do the, the currency match using mm. fixed income rather than equity exposure.
1: Okay. Well, moving on to the last question on UK small caps. <laughs> Should <laughs> investors avoid UK small caps?
3: So I have a pretty strong view on this, which is absolutely not. <laughs> I think small caps are where the clear I think it's where the clearest value opportunity exists at the moment. Yeah. You know, we've had two years of very substantial small cap underperformance. You know, we had an absolutely dire year on AIM last year and this year is shaping up to be no different. You know, even this month we're talking about considerable 250 AIM underperformance versus the one hundred. So I think what's happening in small cap is it's facing all of the pressures of the UK market almost at the most extreme level. So the liquidity, you know, we just spoke about liquidity earlier. That's worst in small caps. And if anything, it seems to be worsening. You know, we're having net flows out of that area. There's there's open-ended fund managers that are having to reduce, there's there's forced selling. You know, it's all of the pressures compiling themselves to smaller companies. And so you're seeing valuations that are very difficult to justify on a long-term view. And I think that's why we we spoke about takeovers. We're seeing a lot of takeovers in that specific area this year. Particularly a more established, cash-generative type of smaller company that if you're a private equity firm, you're buying, say something like a Finsbury Foods, you know, it's a market leader in UK baked goods. Yes, it's not particularly glamorous, it's supermarket bread, but it's private equity coming in and buying it you know, they're taking it over, the bid is at five and a half times EBITDA. It's, mm. it's a miserly valuation, and yet it's being, it's being recommended by the board. But it just reflects this very poor sentiment, you know, prolonged poor performance in that area. So to my mind, if you're an investor that has a long-term time horizon, that's willing to put up with volatility, very importantly, because small caps, they can be illiquid, they can be highly volatile, but if you're willing to take a long-term time horizon, this is where the valuations have, I think, reached pretty extreme levels. Now, that's not to say that things can't get worse. You know, I, I could have sat here a year ago and said the same thing, that AIM had been weak, that there'd been withdrawals, etc. But honestly, I haven't seen sentiment in this area as bad. You know, I've been in the industry about 15 years, and I've honestly never seen sentiment as bad as it is now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always darkest before the dawn, as they yeah. say, and it mm-hmm. feels really, really dark yeah. in smaller companies at the moment. It, it feels very friendless.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, it, I think from a valuation perspective, definitely looks super cheap. Of course, UK small cap on a global basis is like micro, micro cap because of, obviously there's this valuation differential and a large or a small cap company in the US is the equivalent of a kind of large cap company in the UK. So these are tiny, tiny companies. I think um, if if I was going to have any kind of exposure to small caps, I'd definitely want to do it through an active manager rather than a passive manager. Because if you're right and rates are higher for longer, this is where we're going to feel the real distress in, in the market because there's huge credit risk in some of these smaller companies. And, you know, if they have debts, Going to be interesting to see whether they're going to be able to refinance that debt. So I would definitely not want to do it on a kind of blanket passive exposure. But I agree if you can identify the you know the the company the small companies that are you know you have a niche, um, basically they're almost invisible. So um, you know there's obviously going to be a lot of value. And if, if eventually we see um, liquidity coming back into the system, if we start to see private equity you know being able to refinance again predicated on rates not remaining where they are at the moment. There's inevitably a lot of value, but I think you have to be quite patient to see that yes. realised.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I think you do, you do have to be patient. You definitely have to be selective. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with your point, so particularly on areas like AIM. You, know, you do have to be very careful and very selective. I think, to your point about refinancing, you know, what I'd say about the UK market generally is that a lot of fund managers in the UK are very, very conservative. Mm-hmm. So a lot of UK companies actually, when you look at their debt, compared to some of the U.S. businesses. You know, U.K. fund managers, if something has above two times net debt, oh, ooh, yeah. too high, too high, bring it down, mm-hmm. you know, which in the good times can look a bit a bit sort of constraining mm-hmm. and, and too conservative, but actually in times like this, when economic conditions are obviously tougher, actually a lot of U.K. businesses compared to their U.S. counterparts would have a lower level of on-balance sheet debt to begin yeah. with. So that can be quite, quite helpful, uh, particularly in the new
2: interest rate environment that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But this is another area. I mean, these are domestically focused companies. We should be seeing more policy um, initiatives to try and prop that up because, of course, you get business property relief in parts of the AIM of the market. Now, that's an obvious area that the, the UK government could be stepping in and supporting it more widely, I think. So, yeah, I think in domestic companies, that's, that's an area which you know, the government should really be trying to you know, engender some kind of you know, positive, positive change towards. And maybe the rebundling of you know research and so on will start to highlight some of those valuation anomalies in a way that they, they haven't been to you know, in the recent past.
1: Before we finish, Laura, I have a quick question on, you mentioned performance. So, you know, the FTSE AIM All Share Index is down 16% this year. And then you if you look at since its inception around 20, 25 years ago, someone who invested back then, it's still down 33%. And then if you think about, um, the fact that we're in a high inflationary environment and small-cap companies are borrowing a bit more, surely the performance is just going to keep going
3: down. So this is exactly to Hayes' point. With AIM, you have to be incredibly selective Specific. about what you are investing in. There, there's plenty of companies on AIM that could equally be listed on the main market. You know, they're, they're established businesses. Just to throw out one example, you know, something like Johnson Service Group. It does textile rentals. It does for hotels, gyms, that kind of thing very established business, market leader in what it does, happens to be on AIM, could just as easily be on you know, FTSE small cap. But FTSE small cap has it's become very investment companies dominated. It's, it's slightly um, you know, losing its focus, if you could say that, as an index. So it, it's on AIM, but equally, equally it could be on the main market. So you do have to be very careful with what you're investing in on AIM. You have to look very hard at what it is you're investing in. Don't buy the index, as you say. Active management, you know, make sure you know exactly what it is you're investing in.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Joby, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.